Welcome! I'm glad you're here. You're listening to Banjo Chat, where I bring in amazing banjo players and chat with them about their life, their music, their stories, their pitfalls, inspirations, and advice. So, join us on this journey into Banjo Chat. Hello, hello! Welcome to the Banjo Chat. I'm your host, Hilary Hawk. How you doing? How you doing out there? You know what? It's Wednesday, and here we are yet again, talking to each other. Well, I'm talking at you, but uh, always having a good time, always enjoying it, always enjoying getting to connect in this way. Well, this past week was a busy one. I went up to my dad's in upstate New York, came back, played a show in Brooklyn, got back on Amtrak, saw my mom and grandma, brought this mandolin that I've been borrowing, and I played my first ever mandolin gig for the nice folks in her assisted living (laughs) facility. Um, I played a little Blue Moon in Kentucky, Hey Good Looking, Whiskey Before Breakfast. You know what? It's like the good, it's like the good stuff. If you can do that, I highly recommend. It always feels good to give back, you know? Uh, it's just, you feel like you make a little bit of difference and that just feels really good. Speaking of giving back or trying to help, there's this current situation in Israel right now and I'm going to be donating some money on behalf of the Banjo Chat to Doctors Without Borders who have been doing work in Israel for the past 20 years. If you have the means to donate and you want to do something, go to doctorswithoutborders.org. They're doing the good work out there, and it, and it is a way you can help, however small it feels, um, you know, and and seem like you can make a difference as well. Also, just a quick plug for the Ashokan Banjo Weekend coming up November 17th through 19th in Ashokan, New York. I've been talking about this lately. It's going to be Tony Trishka, myself, Cedric Watson, Joe Newberry, um, Scott Hopkins. It's going to be a really great time. If you're in New York, think about coming up. And uh, I just also want to mention, because I don't want you to think there's a lag time, I'm going to be taking a couple weeks off of the podcast to prepare for the Banjo Weekend because I want to have a live broadcast up there um, with just really awesome conversations with all those guys. And um, I'm looking forward to it, but I want to make sure I roll it out right. So I'll, I'll be working on that. So just uh, no uh, surprise when I take a couple weeks off, I hope. Um, all right. Well, I am so excited to have my guest today. She is a finger-picking banjoist, originally from New Zealand and a founding member of the touring band Mile 12. Hey, they won the International Bluegrass Music Association's New Artist of the Year Award in 2020. I mean, 2020, come on. What was going on in 2020? They won that Artist of the Year Award. (laughs) She also won the Steve Martin Banjo Prize, which is a huge honor. I'm sure you've heard of it. All this to be said, she is out there playing. She has been for a while. She is doing it. She's putting the work in. She's hitting stride after stride. I'm so proud to have her here. Welcome to the Banjo Chat, B.B. Bounis. Thanks for having me, Hillary. It's a really cool podcast. I checked out a couple episodes and uh, really dig what you're doing. Oh, man, that's awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, well, uh, wondering, where are you living now? Are you still in Cambridge, Mass? Uh, with the internet these days, it's like you could be living anywhere. I know. I think about that sometimes when I consider moving back to New Zealand. But no, I'm in Cambridge, Mass still, and uh, loving it here. Uh, just uh, right in Inman Square, if people are familiar with, with Cambridge. Nice, yeah. Uh, it's, my husband likes to say, it's not Boston, it's Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I actually, yeah, no, Cambridge and Boston, like, I feel like those are two totally different things, you know? <laughs> I don't, and I, I've lived here for 10 years, and I'm like, it's Boston, I live in Boston, but, you know, well, Cam- I, I understand. He, if you grew up here, it's very different, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Cambridge is cooler, I think, that's... 
<laughs> That's what he thinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not really a hop and a skip, uh, you know, to get back to New Zealand. That's that's quite a, a trip. So, you know, you have to kind of plan that ahead a bit, you know. Yeah, it really is. It's pretty tedious, actually. <laughs> what? How long of a flight is that? Um, the best way to do it is um, about 25 hours or so and that's I mean that's including the layover because you can't go direct uh so it's you fly to LA or San Francisco and then fly to Auckland oh my gosh and then my parents live a drive a good drive like five hours uh, south of Auckland or another flight (laughs) that is a lot longer than I thought you were going to say I didn't realize you went that way across the United States yeah I know it'd be easier to live in San Francisco or LA or somewhere you know Oh that my god! Well, I'm not sure the last time you and your band passed by Brooklyn, but I tried to catch your show a couple years ago um, at the Atlantic in downtown Brooklyn. I think that's where you guys played. I I was just pulling this from my memory, so I I didn't yeah. look it up. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. That was a cool venue. I think it didn't last though, right? No, it's not there anymore. But uh, I was playing a show at the exact same time, and I couldn't see you guys. But um, no, I heard that was a great show. Yeah, we love coming through there. I feel like our home venue there, or the one we have had the most success with, is Chalopi. Ah, great. Yes. Yeah. That's a great place. We've played there a few times. Yeah, I, li- I like that room. It feels kind of closest to like Club Passim, you know, up here, which is our one of our favorite spots to play up in Boston. Nice. Well, this is our banjo podcast here, so I have to ask you some banjo questions, and it's my favorite thing to do. What is, <laughs> what is the hardest thing about being a professional banjoist? I mean, for me, it's like learning material quickly. Like, I think I'm doing too much, like living here in Brooklyn, but usually someone wants me to learn something quickly, and then I have to drop everything I'm doing and learn something for a gig. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, do you have anything, like, what's the hardest part of being a professional banjoist for you? Yeah, I haven't had to do a ton of that kind of thing because, um, the good fortune of being in the same band for almost a decade is like, I know those tunes pretty well. And if we write something or we come up with a new song, it's not going to be a surprise to me. And I'll still work on it ahead of a tour, but it's like, I don't have that same thing of like, hey, tomorrow, can you play a new song? No, I can't do that. But I know what you mean. Like on occasion, there'll be something pop up kind of last minute. And yeah, it's like, you can you can do the best you can do, right? It's just like yeah, trying to remember the kickoffs for all the songs. Or I find that kind of hard if I have like a bluegrass standard gig and, you know, there's a bunch of um, songs you're meant to be the person that kicks them off and just remembering you know they kind of all blend into one if you're not super familiar with them uh so i i've been really fortunate to play in like a local band up here with this great fiddle player laura osha and she is just like she grew up with bluegrass her dad plays your grand grandma sang and you know she's just kind of knows every song it seems like and so it's been fun to be on gigs like local gigs with her and she just make sure she stands beside me on stage and she can just like very quickly uh, sing it to me again, like as a refresher, you know, it's like if I can just hear the verse or even a few words of the verse, I, oh yeah, that one. Okay. I got it now, you know, but um, that's always hard. Just like keeping those all straight. If somebody else kicks off the song, no problem usually, but (laughs) (laughs) no, I totally hear that. Uh, yeah, it's like you can't know everything all the time, but you know, it's like you do what you can. 
<laughs> in the moment. Yeah, but kind of cool to be, you know, if you think about it, if you're getting a lot of pickup gigs, like it sounds like you are, and, and people are like asking you to cram last minute, learn this song, learn that song. You know, you're you're getting paid to learn music, which is great. And and you would think after doing it all the time for years, you're going to get quicker at it, which is always something I try to do just without getting paid for. You know, I'm sitting there and trying to learn a new tune just for fun thinking, oh, one day I'll be quicker at this, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Like, I, I'm totally jealous, like, that you've played with the same band for 10 years. Like, I feel like I'm totally stressed out, like, living in Brooklyn, like, trying to, like, meet the needs of every gig that comes in and, like, just keep the hustle going. It's, it's mm. a lot. It really tires you out. And, and yeah, I, th- I think I've gotten faster at it. But, like, I'm, I'm looking at, like what you do with mile 12 and I'm like oh that's amazing and and uh and the focus and the energy you get to put in that one band and um and like undoubtedly like mile 12 like right off the bat you guys are like uh, a great you guys were a great band talented group of people and um and I feel like you witnessed success early on so I was wondering do you have any like driving force that keeps you focused like with the band or just with in general like like just yourself like how do you how do you stay focused with like that project or like with what you want to do uh great question i mean bands kind of live their own lives i feel like so that's a little bit harder to kind of control although i would say each of us at varying points throughout the band have kind of taken that initiative and been like okay i see you know the emails aren't being answered like I'm going to get on and hustle today. I'm going to be that person. And it's definitely not me every day, but um, probably at the moment I'm, you know, one of the older members of the band. There's only two original members left now. And so it's like, yeah, I'm kind of feeling that, yeah, if, if anything's going to happen, it probably should be me or <laughs> the, other, <laughs> the other older member of the band. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, in the earlier days of the band, it was like all of us were kind of unattached and younger and didn't have – Uh, wives or husbands yet and didn't have you know pets to take care of and so it was a little bit easier to just put everything into it and I do feel like pre-pandemic touring was had a different feel to it to me at least it felt just like the before times you know and yeah uh, you could kind of just we you know it was almost like a crazy um I don't know siblinghood of frantic uh you know, putting it all, all five of us back then. And I think that's why we had early success was we were just crazy about it. Like we would be our own booking agents. And I remember one time on like a long drive, David sent like 300 emails to DJs just like in the car, you know, David and Bronwyn, especially they were just, they're crazy and ambitious and and all of that fueled, you know, the energy that you kind of need to have like a band survive on the road. Um, so yeah, that's not really happening these days, but, um, I do think all of that comes, you know, that's kind of a separate thing from being just like myself and like, what do I want to keep, you know, achieving with music and what am I trying to get better at? Um, it's, I think I just take it one day at a time. I'm not too crazy about like, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Um, I view it more as like a long-term lifestyle and mm. I'm okay with the fact that sometimes I'm just not going to want to play the banjo and <laughs> like not, I'm not going to want to learn music, you know, I've been doing it for 20 years now and that's okay, you know, and like I teach a lot so putting my energy into, you know, making sure my students are motivated is, you know, take, it takes some of that motivation away from me but I think 
yeah, that's, you know, it's okay. I've had a lot of time to sit and practice the banjo. Not to say that I don't still practice. I'm still pretty, pretty into it. But there'll be, you know, it's like, it's, there'll be weeks or months where I'm really into it and then kind of uh, take a holiday. <laughs> yeah, that's really beautiful. Like, I, yeah, I love that. I love what you're saying about that. And, you know, having the drive to, to push the band like that, but keeping it separate from yourself. I mean, it's hard to distinguish sometimes, but yeah. How do you, how do you stretch? What are your favorite stretches after holding a resonator banjo for a couple hours? Like physical stretches. Yes. Like body. Yes. Like how do you deal with the, the, I don't do anything. Really? Yeah. I do nothing. Well, I, I do. I got into, in the pandemic, I got into yoga with Tim, <laughs> which is, He's like one of the least annoying yoga people on YouTube, and uh, he's really quite good. Like, he's funny. He's just like a guy with, I think, does he have a dog? I can't remember now. It's been a while since I like was doing that, but I think I was doing that more. I wasn't, I was just trying to stay sane back then. Like, it wasn't about stretching because I was playing the banjo because I wasn't on tour. Yeah. But uh, I did get into that, that for a bit. Um yeah, no, I just, I, I have had some tr- um, issues with back stuff. I think the most important thing to, like, not dying while you're playing a resonator banjo is um, doing planks. <laughs> ah, there it is. You got to get your core strong because I've had back issues in the past. Um, the slip disc and stuff. Oh, like wow. when I was, like, actually a lot younger, which is not a good sign. <laughs> like when I was, like, 17 in high school, I had a slip disc. And oh, my gosh. was pretty pretty down with the back stuff. But, um, yeah, I think it's more just, yeah, posture. Like, mm. I did a little Alexander technique. that I think that helped. Yeah. Benches are just heavy. I, I think sitting is the way to go. Ah, yeah. It's like, it gets my legs. It's it's crazy. It's not even my back sometimes. It's like if I'm doing a, a gig and like, especially like a brunch gig or a long three hour gig, it's my legs that hurt. And and I, I get home and I'm like, oh, I'm so tired, you know, just from standing. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It's not even the back. You're not allowed to sit. The brunch gigs, you think that would be a prime opportunity for sitting? I don't know. People don't sit on these brunch gigs. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to start that i'm gonna have to start that trend baylor would sit yeah yeah he i I think well his bluegrass hop um thing has been a standing thing but a lot of his gigs you know he's sitting down like him i just thought that's because he's yeah because he's an older man now i don't i i didn't realize that maybe he always did that i think if you're playing like in the crazy stuff he's playing classical music or whatever then yeah yeah i think sometimes it's like there are certain tunes you just can't actually play standing. The angle's different, you know. True. I think when Pekalny, like a few years ago, he had a solo show that he took on tour. And he said, yeah. it was like, there was one tune he was saying, he just couldn't play standing up. Like, it was really, really hard to even get it, the stretch, if he was sitting. So he just didn't put it in the set because he did a standing gig. So I imagine oh my if gosh, I could yeah, playing complicated stuff like that, it's like you it's just a lot better if you're sitting down. I can imagine that. Like some of those fingerings are so it's like how do you even get get there, like with standing? Yeah. No, I could see that. That's interesting. I didn't realize that. You should um, say to your brunch people like, Hey guys, I'm playing all this really cool stuff now and it's really complicated and it can only be done sitting. Yeah, it can only be done sitting unless you pay me fifty dollars more. <laughs> for- <laughs> <laughs> just kidding everybody just kidding guys um 
So this is, you know, this is a banjo thing here. Uh, I got to ask, what picks are you using? Good question. Um, let me see. I, I have a couple different pairs, but these ones are Yates 8. And they're great. Oh, nice. They're, um, do you know them? Wait, what? no, what are they called again? Yates picks. And they're the Yates 8 model, which is um, like they're kind of a new version of the Ovalates. Ah. Um, which are my favorite, but they're expensive. So these ones are, I think, like $50 for a pair, which is still kind of expensive. But the, the mm-hmm. Ovalates, you know, hard to find and... They're, you know, kind of collector's items at this point, so you got to have some friend or buddy or who knows a buddy <laughs> to get them. And they usually cost, like, at least $100 or maybe more. Oh, my gosh. Are you wearing a blue uh, blue chip thumb pick right yep, now? Yeah, blue chip. I've, had the, I've been on the blue chip train for a while. Um, I just I find it hard. I think the plastic ones probably sound better, but I find it hard to get one that fits great and feels good on my thumb. And uh, I hate it when they get scratchy, and I'm I'm too lazy to buy that ultra fine sandpaper that you're supposed to get to kind of, yeah. Yeah, and I just want to tell everybody at home we're on Zoom right now, but we are both wearing we were both wearing our thumb pick when I asked about picks. We're both wearing our picks, so uh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I use the Golden Gate. I I still do the plastic thumb pick, and you know I I get it real tight, so my thumb turns blue. I don't. Yeah, I just do that. And then it get, it does get scratchy at a certain point, and I just I end up just changing it out, you mm-hmm. know? But, that makes sense. Um, I don't know. I just, I just do, I guess because it's, like, replaceable and it's kind of cheap, I just do that. And then what kind of strings are you using? The strings I do, uh, GHS, I actually have an endorsement, so I get them a little cheaper, and they're the uh, Studio J.D. Crow set. Ah, you're using the Studio JD Crow. I just put those on my banjo, and uh, that's interesting because I was—it's a totally different sound than what I was using. I always use the GHS or Deering, and I put the JD Crow on, and I was like, "Wow, this is a totally different sound." I can—it's—it is different. I can see why you might uh, choose those. Yeah, I just do everything. <clears throat> my buddy Gabe Hirschfeld—he lives down the road, and he's a yeah. real absolute gear nut and an amazing player as well but like you know he's just tried on every pair of strings ever and he just tells me bb you got to get these these are the best and so i just do whatever he tells me except for the blue chip thumb pick he actually doesn't he's like when are you going to stop using that blue chip and i'm like well i don't know probably never (laughs) hey you gotta do what you do you gotta like what you like you know that's what makes you different and it makes you you i yeah i haven't gotten into the blue chip but um I don't, I don't know. You know, maybe I will someday. You got to change it up sometimes too, you know? Yeah. Um, and then what is your favorite banjo of choice? Like, do you have like one banjo you use all the time? Um, do you have like multiple banjos? What's your, who's, who's your favorite banjo? Yeah. Uh, so like I've only ever really owned two banjos. Well, I had one early on. It's an Ibanez um, from the 1970s and that was a pretty good banjo and it's actually floating around in some hands of another young banjo player in New Zealand which is kind of fun oh that's cool and then cool. from that I upgraded to Robin Smith banjo Heartland banjo um, pretty early on I got it when I was 15 I think and I bought it just on eBay from this fella in Texas just without playing it or anything and I shipped it to New Zealand you know at the beginning of high school and uh 
I loved it, luckily, because it could have gone terrible. I didn't know anything about banjos. I didn't know whether to get a Deering or a Stelling or, you know, I didn't really know. And I just saw this one on eBay and was like, oh, that, that'll do it. And that was my banjo for, like, a long time, 15 years or so. It was, like, my main touring banjo, my only banjo. And then two years ago, I, I was very fortunate to get an old Gibson uh, pre-war flathead. So that now is oh, my, nice. my new baby and my Heartland is, like, my second you know, if something needed to be fixed up on this one, I would use the Heartland banjo. But uh, yeah, so the new one is a, well, the new old one, I should say, is a 1927 RB3 with original neck and, um, you know, the tone ring was, uh, it actually originally wasn't a flathead tone ring. It was uh, sent back to the factory in the 30s to get the new, the new thing everyone loved, which was this, you know, the tone ring that is now really valuable. And so the thing, yeah, the fingerboard of this neck has been replaced, but the neck is original. And um, that's about all I know about it because I'm not really that well-versed in banjos. <laughs> no, I think everybody at home is mouth is watering probably right now. And mine is. That's an amazing banjo. I, that, I would love to see it, love to hear it. That's awesome. That's so cool. What a great banjo. Yeah, no, but I thanks. but I hear you. It's like that's the way we got banjos. I mean, like I I ordered my banjo without playing it too. The same way I ordered it and just got it. I got a Stelling Red Fox, you know, from Janet Davis. I didn't even I didn't play it, but I got lucky and it sounded great. And I I play you know I still play that banjo. It's still awesome. You know, nice. it's hard to get, and especially coming from New Zealand, I <laughs> I don't know how many banjos you had floating around out there. Zero, yeah, it had to be shipped over from America. Uh, who do you remember first hearing in New Zealand and and then made you think, like, that's what I want to do? Like, was it a pop artist? You know, uh, growing up for me, I remember, like, I was already playing banjo, but <clears throat> I heard Alison Krauss in Union Station because she had a couple crossover, like, pop hits on... It was, like, country, and then she had some pop hits, Alison Krauss, and... At the same time, around the same time, the Dixie Chicks were like kind of had a couple pop hits. And I heard those two and I was like, this is absolutely what I want to do. Like, I didn't know the banjo could be, I didn't know the banjo could make those sounds. And I, like, for me, that was like a huge influence on like moving for, forward with this as a career. Like, I thought, I was like, oh, there's potential here. Like, I didn't have that that thought, but, like, I think in my mind it really motivated me to, like, want to do it. Did you have anything like that in New Zealand? Uh, no, I actually didn't hear the banjo recorded. I, um, a friend of my parents, like, owned a banjo and so played the banjo for me at his house. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Can you teach me the banjo? And he was also a guitar player, and he said, Oh no! Well, the guitar is a little easier, so let's start with that. I don't know why he said that necessarily, but anyway, I started with the guitar, and it just made me want to learn the banjo even more because he said it was tricky, and I'm stubborn little twelve-year-old, and so I, uh, <laughs> I eventually just like only practiced the banjo part of the lesson, and eventually he was like, "All right, we'll just do banjo lessons. You seem to like it." And um, yeah, so I learned from him for a few years. And he had a couple CDs, but it was like my first, uh, I think, CD that he borrowed me was like the Dueling Banjos compilation yep. thing. Um, and he also, um, pretty early on, we got a copy of Drive from Babela. 
And so that was cool. And I remember seeing, uh, like, I remember being really amazed seeing those, you know, those videos of like Tony Rice and Bela and the acoustic all stars at like, maybe it's mm-hmm. Merlefest or something. They're like those iconic videos. We got like a VHS somehow with those, um, those performances on it. I think it was that because it was before YouTube was around. But anyway, so seeing like Bela was a real like motivator for me. Um, I did, I think eventually I did hear the Dixie Chicks and stuff too and was pretty into it. But um, yeah, but it wasn't like any one. It was like seeing a, a person play the banjo that kind of got me initially inspired. Yeah, like Bela is really like he is our, he is like our role model crossover uh, hero in the banjo world. Like I feel like he really brought it out and made banjo cool again after it really wasn't cool for a little while. Like I, I feel like Bela like brought it to like a new place and I, he's a household name. I mean, most people I think know who Bela Fleck is uh, in the world, even if they're not, you know, music lovers, you know? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like ba- Bela really changed the game and, and yeah, made banjo cool. So is mm-hmm. there like a different perception of banjo in New Zealand? Like, does it seem to have like, um, like a Southern culture Americana feel like, or did you just kind of come to it in your own kind of bubble and then when you got to the United States, you, you learned more about it. Or, like, what was the, the vibe of the banjo for you in New Zealand? Does that make sense? <laughs> well, it, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I don't think – there's just hardly – especially back then, and I haven't lived there for 10 years, so mm-hmm. I'm definitely out of the loop now. But back then, when I was living there, which was now, like, 20 years ago – um nobody played the banjo there was just like it was just total luck that a friend of my parents in this small town in martin new zealand which has five thousand people played any instrument i mean there's like probably only a few musicians in that whole town and the fact that one of them was a banjo player when there were only like four or five banjo players in the entire country is like crazy it was just like a crazy accident (laughs) happy accident i don't know (laughs) Happy, but but then you know realizing oh okay like there's not actually any banjo players in New Zealand except for like this one guy who lives six hours north and like a few people in the South Island like what am I gonna do now my banjo teacher sadly passed away so I had to be like okay well how am I gonna like learn the banjo um and this was really there was YouTube but it was like yeah. you know dial up where you like have to let the video kind of like play or load for yeah. three hours and then come back and now you can watch it or it wasn't like there wasn't great tutorials or anything back then so I um, planned a trip over with my mother when I was 16 or 15 and we just like hit all the spots you know the bluegrass wow. festivals and camps and stuff and that was how I, I kind of continued my banjo education was like flying to America and going to we went to the Rocky Grass camp and um, Nash camp and a camp in Texas, I think it was called Camp Bluegrass, and like uh, Telluride Bluegrass Festival. So that was kind of like, no, I just got, you know, everyone was so, so nice and, you know, happy to like give me all their DVDs if they made them, like Bill Evans to give me a whole Love stack Bill. of like DVDs and tab books and Tony Trishka. Alamanda, they just gave me like, I'm pretty sure they gave me all their handouts that they'd ever made. And so I went back to New Zealand with just like a huge stack of tablature. And I was like, all right, I keep going from here, you know. Um, 
So yeah, that was like, there's not like, yeah, I think the perception of Banjo New Zealand is similar to how it is here, but just less known. And I think probably the perception is still mostly like the Beverly Hillbillies and dueling banjos rather than Mm -hmm. what's come since that. Like, I don't think they're that hip to, like, who Molly Tuttle is or Billy Strings yet. But I could be wrong, because, like I say, I'm, like, judging it on when I was living there, which was kind of a while ago now. Yeah, yeah, that's really inspiring. And, like, your appreciation for the banjo is really inspiring and exciting and how you really just pursued it like that. That's really, really awesome and and, uh, unique. It's cool. Um. Well, I wanted to take a listen. I mean, I could just keep talking to you. <laughs> it's like time flies by and I just could keep going because I have unending questions. Um, but uh, I did want to take a listen to the newest album from Mile 12. It's called Close Enough to Hear. Um, I Yeah, I was thinking we could listen to a tune that you wrote um, on it called Hopping Around Telluride. How does that sound? That sounds wonderful. Yeah, so we'll take a listen and then we can talk about it a little bit. So... Um, Here we go. That was hopping around Telluride, and that is such a cool tune. I could just keep listening to that. It like definitely has a sound of like being on the road. Like I could tell that you've played with, you guys have played together a lot, and it sounds like you've been playing for audiences. Like like you kind of know the sound you wanted to go for with this. Um, yeah. Do you have anything okay. like? W- w- yeah. Do you have anything to say about this tune? Uh, no. Not a ton. I, I wrote it actually, I was thinking about my mother and thinking about that trip I was just telling you about, mm. like coming over, um, because actually on the first like four or five days, it was like a nine week trip. And within the first four or five days, my mom broke her leg, um, and which was a bummer because mm. I was too young to drive the rental car. And so I was like, well, I guess we turn around and like fly back to New Zealand. And she was like, nah, babes, we can, we can do it. You know, like Kiwi can do attitude. Or just being crazy. I don't know. It's probably like illegal to drive with a broken leg. But anyway, it was an automatic car and we just drove. We continued. You know, she would hop hop to the motel room at night and her leg would all be like swollen up from driving us, you know, across the state that day. And then I'd uh, unload the car and then load her back in the next day and off we go. And so the first festival we went to here was Telluride Bluegrass Festival. We were camping and, you know, it was like our first ever American bluegrass festival. And she had a freshly broken leg, like she just like two days on crutches. Um, and so we were meeting people, and people were just like, "What are you guys doing? Like, you're from where? Like, you've got a why is your mother got a broken leg? Like, why are you still here?" And so the whole the whole thing was just kind of a crazy experience, and meeting all these people that you know I still see now and they say oh how's your mother you know how's your leg and I'm like yeah that she's good you know it was 10 years ago but um 
yeah, so that was that's the hopping part, hopping around Telluride. I was just like, writing that tune, thinking about her. Like, not just that she was hopping around, but like you guys were hopping around together. But like she was yeah, actually hopping. Late, yeah, <laughs> so just like the level of commitment she had, you know. And I, I don't think I would have kept playing the banjo or being able to um, move here. You know, it's it's not that easy to become a citizen of this fine country. Uh, you need a lot of, you need pretty cool parents. Like my parents are both um, yeah, kind of handy people. Like my dad's a builder and my mom's a artist slash. They also ran a fish and chip shop for 20 years. And so they were just happy that I finished high school. <laughs> like they, you know, I didn't have huge expectations, I guess, or like, hey, you need to go become a lawyer or a doctor or something. It was like the fact that I went to school for music and the fact that that music was jazz banjo didn't bother them at all and uh they were you know they've always just been supportive of whatever i've wanted to do in life so i think you know writing that tune was the least i could do to pay back my very sweet and supportive and crazy mother ah that's so nice i love that so much oh my gosh all right cool well i'm gonna compare that to this other tune on the album it's called waiting and I uh, actually kind of just want to listen to, <laughs> without getting too nerdy, I kind of want to listen to the banjo solo part of it. So we're just going to, yeah, we're just going to listen to this part of Waiting. Um, and here we go. They're always 20 steps ahead of me. I cannot match their pace. Someone told me I should be here, but I don't want to run this race. I love I love the way that you're soloing on this. You know, you're kind of combining melodic and single string and some other some other techniques in there. Um, yeah, I love I just love it. It sounds great. And that's a tune by Ella Jordan, who also plays fiddle in the band. And it's just such like a great modern sounding bluegrass tune. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pleased with how that one turned out. And Ella singing is is awesome. She really brought a whole lot to the the new sound of the band, having her in the harmonies and and having her sing lead on that one is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it sounds great, her singing lead on that. I love it. Um, Do you have any favorite sounds or ideas that you like to make on the banjo? For example... I'm a stronger melodic style player than single string, and so I like to make like long melodic washes of sound or um, kind of blending the open strings. Do you have any like favorite sounds or go-to things that you like to do on the banjo? Mm. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I always just think about what I wish I could do. <laughs> no, like, <laughs> yeah, true what that. I already enjoy doing. Well, I do. Love, I've been. I feel like in the last few years, I've been trying to be more conscious about doing more rolling ideas, and so taking like a triad and and kind of, yeah, just trying to like make make music with with a rolling idea, which I think creates a lot of cool sounds that uh, I've you know neglected to explore to their full potential. Um, I definitely default to a single string mostly when I'm improvising. Mm. Um, I think probably as a result of like going to school for jazz you know that's like you're basically just being a guitar on the banjo 
Um, but I, you know, I love, I love that side of um, hearing people phrasing um, with a little space. And I feel like single string kind of lets you do that. Whereas Scruggs and Melodic are like, you know, you're kind of just like, you're going at it and you, you want to keep the flow going. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like tricky on a folk song, you know, and this whole album was kind of like singer songwriter music. It's like, well, I could do anything, you know, <laughs> I could. I could do really sparse solos with single string or I could do like full on bluegrass banjo. Um, and it was kind of, I guess I just want, you know, felt like whatever, whatever was in my head in that moment on that day for that song came out. Yeah, I can really tell that. It sounds really cool. It sounds like you really just followed your heart. Like on all the solos, I feel like on all the tunes on this album, I, I feel like you really kind of connected with something that's like a little greater than just following the traditional style of banjo, um, which made me think about like, how, how do you envision like improvising? Like, do you, like, how do you not just practice it, but like, how do you, yeah, envision your style of improvising? Do you like to stick close to the melody? Do you like to like, you know, slowly uh, escape from the melody? Like, how do you, how do you think about it? I think it depends who you're playing with a lot of the time. So if I'm playing with someone that's really adventurous and crazy and out there, I'll become more crazy and out there and probably like be more willing to be on the edge. But if I'm playing with people that are, um, like I just did some gigs with this guy, Rick Farris, who's an amazing singer, um, really bluegrass kind of guy. I think he won the new artist like last year maybe or a year before. Anyway, he's an awesome singer. And for that, I felt like I was like just – kind of sticking to like the planned out kind of banjo kickoffs or banjo solos like I wasn't going really crazy because it, it didn't fit that like style mm. of how they were playing the bluegrass so then like recently uh, one of our favorite people to pick with and I'm so glad he moved back to Boston um, Stash Weislash mm -hmm. you probably know him and you know he's like he's just so creative and crazy and does whatever he wants and he'll leave a huge amount of space if he wants to or he'll play really um, you know, out of the box hum harmonic stuff, and and you know that's like if I'm playing with him, <laughs> and you hear me playing, it's taking a solo after a stash solo is going to sound very different from if I take a solo after you know a mile twelve show or you know someone else. So I feel like I, you know, who I am as an improviser just depends on what the music is and who else is playing the music with me. Yeah, no, he yeah, that does sound like a, a really cool experience, like playing with him, and then. Yeah, going back and forth between mile 12. Yeah, that's awesome. Are you always learning on the banjo? Are you still learning on the banjo? Yeah, yeah. I try to, I try to, and that's why I was saying earlier, I like, I'm not, you know, I don't put a fire all the time under myself to like keep everything going because I do want to keep the passion of learning for a long, long time. Like I want to be a 60 year old and be like, oh, I've just been working on this piece of music and I'm so inspired about it. And, you know, I'm only 33 now, mm -hmm. or 30, I'm 32 or 33, somewhere in there. And um, so I've got a long time to go, and I want to just be, and enjoy the process of still, you know, still learning. So, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm always kind of working on new things. Awesome. Slowly but surely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, like, for everyone, you know, out there that's listening, I was wondering... Uh, you know, a lot of people are like learning banjo or, you know, are artists themselves that are listening. 
how do you keep from comparing yourself to other artists? Uh, you know, how do you how do you stay grounded to yourself and and yeah. Um, well, get off social media. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I, mean, I think you just have to make sure everything else in your life is, is going, you know, check in with yourself and make sure you're, you know, healthy and happy and can you pay your rent. And I think all those things make a big difference into how, you know, how miserable you're going to be and, and yeah. comparing yourself to other people or whatever. If you're really living a a grounded life and a great community with friends and, and family and stuff that, you know, it's something everyone deals with, but it's like, is it going to take over your life or is it just going to be like a, an occasional thought of like, wow, that person sounds really good. <laughs> Why don't I sound that good? But, um, but using it to kind of just, you know, I, I always try to, if I have a jam and I'm playing with people that are really great and I wish I could do some of the things they were doing, I try to just use that as fuel for motivation to like get it in the practice room tomorrow and, you know, I, I, I think I'm pretty good at keeping a pretty positive mindset about that. Yeah. I feel like everyone's better. And, you know, especially being a banjo player, that's one of the things I get a lot of is, like, when I play with fiddle players or mandolin players or, or even guitar players, mostly fiddle and mandolin because those instruments make so much more sense in the banjo that they can yeah. do these crazy things and then they can do them in a different key just by moving up two strings or whatever. Mm-hmm. We don't have that luxury on the banjo, so I feel like not so much – with other banjo players is, I don't know, I just don't always get to pick with other banjo players, but I get to pick with a lot of great fiddle players and male players, and I go, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get even close to the cool stuff they're able to play on their instruments, but I just have to do what I can do, you know? Yeah, it's like, they're like, let's go to the key E, and let's play this this fiddle tune in the key E. I'm like, awesome, that's a great idea, <laughs> and I'm like, ah, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? But you're right, like mandolin... I, it's like they just can put it's like it's a little easier to put it anywhere I guess uh, fiddle too anywhere on the instrument and a banjo yeah it's a whole nother layer because the way we, we the way we have to do the rolls and get around the strings and the tuning like yeah it's a, it's a whole different thing but don't worry those fiddle players who never play a folk amount breakdown as good as we can <laughs> there you go that's it that's right <laughs> yeah and I think it's like really great like as banjo players because we don't often get to play together you know like you know playing like banjo players playing together is like a kind of a novelty sometimes and we don't get to do it much so I think it's really good to be like happy and and happy for each banjo player that we run into because you know it's like it's exciting to see what you can do with it and be happy for the person that's kind of discovering that it's kind of like an open road a little bit the banjo yeah I think there's so few banjo players too that it's really like you know you get to a point where you're just like well they're good and they're good and they're good and they just all sound different you know it's kind of they all sound different. Yeah, it's kind of like there's there's room for everyone for sure. It's not a real saturated field. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Oh man. Well, um, I've asked you a lot of questions. I, you know, is there anything that you want to say about your your life? I don't know. I I feel like I've asked you a bunch of questions. Is there anything that you want to say that I didn't really cover? I, I think I can't even remember what we talked about now, but I feel like you asked so, so the big questions, you know, what strings, what banjo, what do you practice, you know. Yeah, um, no, this is great. 
Oh, Listen, if so I much. don't ask those questions, I get an email that said, like, why didn't you ask about the gear? And I'm like, all right, I'll ask about the gear. Totally. It's like, no, some it's people want to know, you know? We need to know for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. All right, that's the Banjo Chat. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you have any questions or comments, email us at thebanjochatpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at banjochat. Goodbye. This episode was engineered, mixed, and mastered by myself. If you'd like to support the Banjo Chat podcast, all you got to do is help it along with a little like, a little subscribe, and a little review, and that'll help boost it a little bit so I can keep making these for you. Thanks so much.